RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Okay, within the past month here at Reality Check Radio, I really enjoyed my talk with Catherine Ennis Carter, and many of you did as well. Just to remind you, Catherine attended the Countering Disinformation in Health Seminar held in Wellington, I think back in February, by the Disinformation Project. Well, they were there anyway. They were there presenting. And Catherine gave us a great sort of from the inside look at what happened there. And just to remind you, Catherine Ennis Carter is an independent senior international development consultant specializing in governance, public administration, public sector reform, policy development, including poverty action, strategic management. I'm reading this as quickly as I can. Institutional development, capacity building, because there's so much, and PFM reform, including strategic budgeting, MTEF, and program slash performance budgeting. We've asked Catherine to come back on the program to talk about the latest chapter in this. Catherine, good to hear from you again, and uh, thanks for giving us some more time. It's great. Hi, Paul. Thanks again for inviting me. Okay, so um, we are here to talk about the latest report. I'm going to bring it up in front of me, and they give us this warning, content warning, explicit language, threats, misogyny, racism, violence. Yes, it's the greatest hits all lined up together. And Catherine, you've had a look at this. I've had a look at this. You've probably done a deeper dive than me because I could only get so far through it before, um, well, I I won't tell you what I felt like doing. But uh, well, that's my- it's, it's certainly a, a, a difficult read. That's my problem. So, okay, um, we remember what we talked about last time. Here we are now with the Transgressive Transitions Report. Even the title is loaded, isn't it? it, it this is a branded title for good reason, surely. Oh, absolutely, for good reason. Um, and we let's talk about what this report is now seeking to do. Um, but when, when I first read it, um, my first reaction was, you know, these these authors of this report and the people associated with the disinformation project, they're, they're actually getting unhinged. Um, that was my initial reaction because, um, as I said in, in the last time I talked to you, every time I've heard Kate Hannah speak about this, she's progressed from the um, the fire and fury and the web of chaos documentaries um, which and she was saying some very extreme things in those. Um, and at the disinformation seminar that I talked about that I attended, it had become even more extreme. Well, now it's it's gone on another level. And you know, when I thought about this, it actually um, made me incredibly sad um, for a number of reasons. One is because um, this sort of thing, you know, is um, these people are, creating and whirling around in a kind of a, a maelstream of, of confusion and malevolent paranoia um, that, that I think is really concerning. But I also find it sad because it's actually such a terrible piece of um, so-called academic study. It's actually a shoddy piece of unbridled rhetoric masquerading as a as an academic study it's just full of word salad it's just word salad after word salad well there's a lot of words in it um and uh, one of the things that they're obviously trying to do is um to validate their their so-called methodology um and they're also trying to 
um, find um, academic theoretical frameworks to to kind of hitch all this up to. So they've used the work of, of Robert Putnam, for example. He writes about social um, uh, social cohesion and um, uh, the link to democracy and, and those kind of areas. But what they're actually doing is they're dredging around in the sewers of social media um, and they're finding the worst bits of, you know, what, what they can find there and, and holding that up as, as evidence um, of the groups, you know, that they want to target. Um, that this is all, um, you know, terrible, violent extremism, um, anti-this, anti-that, anti-the-other. But, you know, it's, it's very, very sad because it's such a poor academic study, um, quite apart from the, you know, unbridled bias. Um, but, you know, where's, where's the academic and intellectual rigour in this? Where's the critical analysis? Where's the balance? Where's the consideration of a range of perspectives that you usually expect in an academic study? Which leads me to ask, you know, who are these people actually accountable to um, for any kind of academic uh, credibility? Yeah, they've made a link, and I'm going to try and find the term while we're um, chatting here. Um, they've made a link between the, the freedom protests, anti-mandate protests, and now anti-LGBTQ+. And they're, they're calling it, I think, um, uh, community connection or something like that. I'll find the exact... Community the, bridging, they're talking uh, Community about. bridging. There's the word salad mm. term. So what that said to me is that they're trying to life extend what they're doing. They're trying to carry on their grifting, I'll use that word opportunity, by trying to make that connection and make them relevant and to, to give them some sort of forward motion so they can, what, tread water until someone funds them? I don't know. Did you get that impression as well? Um, well, I, yes, well, of course. But I think, um, again, you have to come back to where this project started. And it started, it was specifically set up to look at so-called misinformation and disinformation about COVID-19, the COVID-19 um, measures and uh, the, um, the mRNA vaccines, vaccines. So that's where it started. So, so this, is, this is another go at this. And what they're now saying is that the groups who were involved in, um, uh, who had concerns about uh, the COVID-19 measures and, and the vaccines, and, and were involved in the anti-mandate protest, they're now suggesting that these groups have, have morphed off um, through this process of community bridging and multi multipolar uh, bridging. Oh, multipolar. Mm-hmm. Um, into all these, these other areas. So what they're trying to suggest now, again, is another, is another tweak um, at discrediting anybody who has any dissenting or alternative opinion um, or concerns even about the uh, the COVID measures and the and the COVID mRNA vaccines. So, which can I just stop you there? Which we know now was riven with purposeful mis and disinformation. 
up the yin-yang, not one mention of it. No, well, um, of course, you know, I mean, this um, the, this whole project I pointed out in our earlier interview is based on a, a terribly false assumption, which is that there is something called truth and everything else is misinformation and disinformation. So if you start with that assumption, you know, you're in trouble from the start. And the problem is that their subject area that they're looking at is opinion. And, you know, when it comes to opinion, there's a lot of it. Yeah, <laughs> there's yeah, a lot of a lot it about. about. A lot of it about. <laughs> and a lot but of- they don't know the difference? Come on. Well, you see, that's what I that's what concerns me about this whole thing because there's no attempt um, at any kind of um, discernment or objectivity or objective analysis in, in what they're looking at. It's just all um, rhetoric, which seems to be intended um, to create a, a, some sort of moral panic. Um, about the fact that, oh, look, these these groups, we told you they were terrible. We told you in the beginning that they were um, white supremacists and they were violent extremists and all of this. And, and look at this. Now they're anti-trans as well, you know, and they're... they're and yeah, but but there, there's more than that. The way that they talk about trans in this report is in a very favourable light. Now, that's okay, you know, but this is some kind of academic work. So it's bias all the way through. It, it, it's, it's not hidden. It's there. Well, what they're wanting to do is obviously um, project, um, you know, and I, this is where, you know, I spoke before about uh, we have to be concerned about the, the kind of tactics that they're using um, because basically, um, you know, I mean, it's interesting that, they're saying that the anti-mandate groups have pivoted, you know, into all these other areas of um, extremism that, that they're concerned about. But they've they've also pivoted. So now, um, you know, from being set up to specifically focus on COVID-related disinformation, now they seem to be setting themselves up as the guardians of um, uh, certain opinions about a range of topics, um, and, uh, you know, they've decided that there are right opinions and wrong opinions about those particular topics. So everybody who has um, a wrong opinion about those particular topics is now going to be, um, is, is being labelled in the same way. So before I talked about the tactics used, which I include um, the use of very careless generic labelling without any kind of discernment. So, for example, um, we're talking about the um, uh, the concerns about the um, the COVID vaccines, and you know, without um, these people have never allowed any kind of discussion about the fact that. Some people are concerned about the mRNA so-called vaccine, but not concerned about other vaccines. They just continue to label anybody who expresses any any kind of concerns, even reputable experts and medical uh, specialists who have expressed concern about the mRNA 
product. You mean the guy who invented it? Yeah, him. And, Only uh, him. And a lot of other international highly regarded experts, and you, you've talked to uh, a couple of them. Um, but this is all um, this all comes under the label of anti-vax. So then they can use that to communicate to the public at large that all oh, these people are against all vaccines. And, you know, this kind of careless labelling, you know, we saw very much during the stuff campaign against um, any candidates who could be deemed to have any association with the parliament protest or uh, any kind of um, involvement with expressing concerns about the COVID measures and the COVID vaccine, um, you know, just could be discredited. So they're using this labelling in order to discredit individuals and groups. And it's for the purposes of um, vilification and defamation, basically, which is what we saw happening with that stuff campaign. Um, the third thing that they're doing, of course, is using projection. So there's, you know, and this is the use of um, hypocrisy to accuse someone of doing something what you're doing yourself, and they're doing a lot of this. <laughs> yeah. In fact, it's the word really to describe it, isn't it, ultimately? It's just projection. Yes. And then the fourth thing, of course, is, is misdirection because, you know, if you can uh, uh, apply all these labels uh, to discredit anybody who's expressing any kind of alternative opinion, um, uh, then, you know, you, you can make it about something else. So, I mean, when, when you saw the, um, the media, the mainstream media coverage of the parliament protest, it was amazing how, um, how blind they appeared to be or wanted to be about what was the reason for the protest. You know, despite all the fact that there were all these placards all around the place saying um, anti-mandate or we're concerned about the mandates, stop the mandates, somehow the mainstream media kept saying, well, what do these protesters want? You know, so, and but you can use all this labelling, anti-vax, violent extremist, white supremacist, far right, you know, all this kind of stuff. You can use that to um, misdirect the whole thing. So then you can say, oh, it's not actually about um, the COVID measures or the COVID vaccine. It's just, you know, it's all, it's all this other stuff that they're really about. They even mentioned the 1080 yes. issue in there as well. <laughs> go, go, you might as well get it all in while you can, I suppose. Oh. There's a few others in there. One thing that sort of kind of made my blood boil, and I'll be straight up about this, is they quote the Lemkin Institute for genocidal prevention. Now, the word genocidal has been used in reporting in relation to them. I think um, uh, one of their members said that the hate towards trans was genocidal. And I can see now where they've got this quote because they 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 cite this Genocide Prevention Institute um, in here. And uh, they've described in this, and I'm reading from the report, the international gender critical movement as genocidal, mm. genocidal. And I spoke to Guy Hatchard on this program a week and a half ago. He told us the leaked information from a whistleblower. He got high level Ministry of Health showing the increase in heart attacks, strokes. I could go on and on and on. Stillbirths in the Wellington region alone, way beyond any blip, way beyond it. That's genocidal. If you want to start talking about genocide, but again, no mention of that, nothing. No, no, no mention of that. 
And also, um, on, a, on a more harmless um, aspect, there's absolutely no mention of the fact that um, if you want to make any connection between uh, the anti-mandate and um, the groups that are concerned about the mRNA vaccine, um, it, you make a connection um, between them and this, and then you morphing into this anti-trans stuff. But they've deliberately ignored the fact that the, the whole concern about the mandates and the COVID measures um, and what happened with the violence about uh, at Albert Park against um, uh, Kelly J. Keen Minchell, um, they've completely, deliberately avoided the point that the concern is about shutting down freedom of speech. They never mentioned that. Good point. Yeah. Instead, it was it was a a moral crusade um, to protect trans people. Yeah, they talk yeah, about most- um, blocking and pushback not yes. being there. Um, that's anti free speech, obviously. Clearly, they've defined it right there. Well, of course it is. Um, you know, but they this is where you know they're using all these tactics um, to make it some um, something else. And so to discredit it. So, and, you know, this is, um, you know, they're, they're bringing in all these topics now. You know, they're talking about how these groups are all associated with far-right ideology. Um, they're all associated with misogyny, um, racism, you know, all the stuff that they they keep, keep bringing in. And so um, basically all of this is trying to shut down any kind of discussion or debate. They, they don't want discussion or debate. They, they, they just want to impose a set of opinions that they consider to be the right opinions and to shut down anything else. And yeah, the, the other thing is, you know, they're talking about potential violence from this community connection thing or whatever, from mandates to this, towards the um, trans community. And again, I'd have to point out that from what I saw and what I've had reported back to me from people who are actually there right in the middle of it, in that situation, the only violence that was threatened and meted out was, I mean, this is projection again, was not from the women (laughs) at all. And people who wanted to have their say, it was from that community claiming to be the victims potentially of this. It's so upside down. Well, a lot of what um, is being put out by this disinformation project and also at the seminar that um, uh, that uh, I attended where I spoke about this whole concept of psychological inoculation um, theory uh, where, you know, that they're talking about how we can inoculate the population against misinformation and disinformation. And you said, wow, this is getting weird. Well, all of this is, is getting very weird, but it, it has a, uh, a purpose, which is to shut down any kind of debate. So um, it's now, uh, now this disinformation project um, has morphed from shutting down uh, any discussion and debate about the COVID measures and the COVID vaccine. Um, to shutting down any kind of debate about these various other issues that they um, obviously are concerned about or have an opinion about. 
The, the other thing that's striking too is there's an assumption by them, it seems, from you know reading what they're saying here, that uh, anyone who's exposed to anything will suddenly believe it. They're so gullible and gutless and dumb that they can hear anything and suddenly they're on board with it, which shows a complete, I don't know, what's the word? Um, absolute sort of superiority complex or they think we're all dumb and stupid or something like that. I find that quite insulting, I have to say. It's very insulting. And, um, I mean, people who, um, you know, are being discredited by this kind of rhetoric um, and basically what, what this paper consists of, it's, it's unbridled rhetoric. It's not, um, it's not legitimate academic um, study, or at least um, <laughs> when, when I did um, my university degrees, I think if, if I'd put forward anything like this, you know, it just never would have been passed. It's just so, <laughs> it's just so um, blatantly poor. Yeah, it's a poor excuse for a piece of work. It's not a good work product is what you're saying. I think we mm. need to start asking some really hard questions. Are these people okay? Well, <laughs> I said to you at the beginning that um, my initial reaction was that these people are getting unhinged. Um, and, you know, maybe, I mean, as I said, their, their, their methodology is actually dredging around in the worst sewers of social media. Um, well, you're going to find sewerage. You oh, are inevitably oh, if you look, but but it's not many places. It's it's very limited, I think. Well, um, you you consider you know the the normal range of of people that you that you talk to. Um, I mean, I I haven't come across. I, I know a lot of people who've uh, who've uh, who are in the um, what they call the freedom groups. Um, who um, coalesced around concerns about the whole COVID measures from, from a variety of perspectives. Some people, you know, were concerned about um, government overreach and control. Some people came into that because they were concerned about um, the, uh, the genetic engineering aspect of the mRNA vaccine that was um, being imposed. But never in that whole debate... Um, you know, was was any debate really um, allowed, or 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 um, every, everything was just shut down? And there were two words that were completely missed out of any um, coverage of the whole COVID measures, and particularly the COVID vaccine, and that was novel technology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, there was just this word vaccine, vaccine, get vaccined, you know, get vaccinated, get immunized, get protected. Um, but if if really if if um if actually it was more persuasive than that, Catherine. It was way more persuasive than that. It was it was like you it's like your mummy telling you, it's all right, it's okay. Pregnant women, go do it. We've yes. got great information that shows no, they didn't. They didn't have any information. And the Pfizer documents have shown that actually that wasn't the case. So they were lying. They were making it up. So it's quite, quite bad. Well, I mean, that was bad. Um, and that was very serious. And I, and I think we, you know, the, there was a, um, a famous quote uh, about the Erebus study, an orchestrated litany of lies. Yeah, um, Justice uh, Mann, yeah. 
we've we've seen something similar. And again, if we if we go back to the beginning, like you know, I mean, I've questioned uh, before: how was this disinformation project already ready to be set up as early as February 2020, when the whole you know COVID thing had really only just emerged, and yet they were already set up. With they were resources. ready for it. They were they had ready a, they and had waiting an, in the starting blocks. They had an approved abstract, which they subsequently took off their website, but I saw it. That's how I know that the assumption that it was based on, that it was started with, was this whole um, concept that, you know, there was a body of truth and everything else was misinformation or disinformation. But if you go back to 2019, for example, if you'd said to the general public um, or to anybody with half a brain that, um, you know, a, a novel experimental um, product derived from genetic engineering would be imposed on the entire population uh, to address a, um, a flu virus which had a 99% um, recovery rate, <laughs> People have, would have thought that you were absolutely crazy. Yeah, but because of all the um, massaging of information and the fear that was generated, you know, people people accepted this and, and went along with it. And if you'd told people back in, in 2019 that you would have a prime minister who would declare that the government was the single source of truth, people would have said, what? You know, if you if you'd said back in two thousand and nineteen that uh, a cabinet minister would describe some New Zealand uh, citizens who participated in a protest uh, as a river of filth, you know, they would have said what? And if you if you told people in two thousand and nineteen that you'd have a you'd have a cabinet minister who said that white cis men were responsible for all the violence in the world. You know, they'd have gone, what? And if you and if you'd told them in 2019 that you'd have a prime minister who couldn't answer the question, what is a woman? You know, people would have thought you're crazy, but all this has happened. And, you know, because of all the um I would say misinformation and disinformation um that's been carried out not only by this project, promulgating what they accuse other people of doing, um, and by the official narrative. You've created a situation where um, the general public has been uh, educated to go along with it all and, um, to not re and to not react. I mean, why, why for instance, you know, did um, hardly anybody on the, on the mainstream media took Chris Hipkins to task for his response to that question. That's right. They didn't take him to task either for personally disallowing um, exemptions <laughs> from being vaccinated when the doctor said, I highly recommend this. We've heard that. So that's another thing they haven't asked him about. Let's get on to, you, you mentioned the lack Huge lack of academic rigor in this. It's not really an academic piece, actually, is it? It's it's no, an opinion it's a, piece with no, words, salad words, and, and and a whole lot of blowhard stuff in it. So we could we could say, do you think that there is no academic institution behind this because they would never 
have their reputation sullied by such a piece of work? Well, I don't know, because this project was originally part of uh, Hei Te Punaha Matatini. Um, now on their website they say they're an independent project. Um, so I don't know what that means. Have they been disconnected from Auckland University, which um, is responsible for the Te Punaha Matatini unit? I don't know. Well, but, someone's unless they did it all for nothing out of the goodness of their hearts, that someone's paid somebody something. Well, that's why I think you know we're now at the point where um, uh, you know there's um, there's so much damage being being done that uh, we really have to start asking some serious questions about who's who's funding uh, this disinformation project. Um, who are they accountable for, for any kind of proper academic analysis? And why is academia at large indulging this kind of, of weak and biased so-called research? And why is government and the media giving it credibility? That's a very good point. No one in government's come out and said, oh, okay, it has nothing to do with us. No. Pull back, pull back. And they have had good reporting. Uh, on both uh, radio and state radio and state TV of this report. And I've listened to a few of those, and there's been no questioning of no. them at all in any no. of this. They just take it as read. Can you believe yes. that? Yes. Well, <laughs> I mean, this was what astounded me at the seminar on countering disinformation in public health that I went to is that um, it was like being in a, a, a group of um, people who were um, just in one lane and not able to see, you know, that there might be any other lane to either to the right or to the left of them. You know, just this incredible groupthink and unquestioning um, uh, level of, of, of going along. And at the seminar, you know, there's, there was a lot of sycophantic sort of fawning um, over uh, people like Michael Baker and um, uh, Kate Hanna and um, uh, the other woman, who Paula Penfold, who was associated with the Fire and Fury. Um, That's up for an award, by the way. You know that's been nominated for a documentary. Oh, no. You see, this is, this is what we're dealing with, Catherine. This is what we're dealing with. Well, that's why, you know, I, and after I got over my initial reaction to this report, which is, you know, what, what the heck are these people thinking? Um, I, I find it all incredibly sad, um, you know, that um, we're, we're in this, um, we're in the state that we are now where, you know, there's just so, I, I really think it's like a, a maelstrom of malevolent kind of paranoia. And, you know, you have to ask the question, where is it going? You know, where is this all heading to? And I I think... Um, well, where do you think it might be heading? Well, Let's call a spade a spade here. Where, I know where I think it might be heading. Where, where do you think it's heading? Well, let's, let's look at what I, I think it's intended to do. I mean, the willful blindness to any need to, um, to, um, to have any level of balanced analysis, um, to have any kind of discernment or even to attach any kind of 
um, qualification to the comments they're, they're making, just to pass off all this rhetoric as research and academic study. Um, I think, you know, the purpose of this is obviously, first of all, and again, back to where it started, is to discredit any opposition or dissenting voice or alternative opinion relating to the government's COVID-19 measures and particularly the mRNA vaccine. And we know that they, uh, the health authorities have a plan um, to roll out more mRNA-based um, vaccines for all, all sorts of other things. So that's the first well, thing. Wait on, can I just uh, clarify that? So this is maybe not so much about LGBTQ. That's just a handy little thing to have. This is to maintain an ongoing discrediting of anyone who might have a problem with being multiply jabbed in a compulsory way, let's say, going forward, otherwise everything's restricted. You've got to keep them demonised, otherwise you can't go through with the plan. Yes, so exactly, exactly. So I think that's the first very deliberate intention, which is why I keep going back to where did this disinformation project start? And the fact that it's now morphed into all these other um, issues where they can fling accusations of, um, you know, community bridging and creating these um, community networks of disinformation and uh, now they're, you know, they, they're using, they're dressing all this up with, you know, academic terms or so-called academic terms um, like uh, disinformation ecologies, all this kind of thing. But obviously, <laughs> oh, obviously it's does, intended. Does David, David Attenborough know about those things? <laughs> well, Has done a series on that? <laughs> yeah, well, um, you know, it. I mean, this has got to such a level of confusion now that um, this is where, you know, it's, and, you know, pe people with um, common sense and reasonable intelligence must start questioning all this. So if we go back to, you know, where, where is this going and, and what's the purpose? I think, so back where it started, it's about um, discrediting any opposition to um, ongoing COVID measures and the ongoing use and the whole mantra of safe and effective concerning this mRNA vaccines. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that the intention is obviously to create a climate of fear um, about um, so that you can continue to discredit these these groups. And so by dragging it into all these other topics, white supremacy, far-right ideology, associating it with neo-Nazi Nazism, and now even using terms like genocide. It's all about um, influencing the public to, to be afraid of any discussion or, or dissent. And, you know, this, we've seen this from the very beginning. You know, there was a, a group of doctors who were concerned from the perspective of their Hippocratic Oath of first do no harm. They were concerned about the um, the genetic therapy um, uh, that was being used and it being called a vaccine. And um, so they stood up and, and said so. And immediately they were accused of being dissident doctors, whereas I think they should have been regarded as diligent doctors because they were being diligent about what they were advising and administering to their patients. Well, you remember the disinformation dozen 
that was the phraseology used to describe oh, a certain was... group of people. Sort of like, you know, the dirty dozen, oh. like the, you know, the baddies in a movie. Yes. So the second intention, I think, behind all this is, is creating this climate of fear um, uh, about it. So if you can if you can make people say, you know, that, oh, uh, the freedom groups are dangerous, you know, they're, they're trying to take down our democracy, they're all associated with neo-Nazis and whatever, you can discredit um, what it's really about. And then I think... Um, so uh, in terms of the where this disinformation project is now morphing to, and, you know, they, they obviously have a, a set of um, topics um, that they uh, have, um, have, this, have decided that there's a set of right opinions and, and wrong opinions. So, again, they're, they're wanting to shut down um, any any debate or discussion about what they consider to be wrong opinions and educate the public about the opinions that they should hold. Um, so this is this is the bullying kind of um, uh, atmosphere that sits in, in in behind all of this. It's not only that you know you, you're not allowed to to say certain things. You're not allowed to to have wrong, the wrong opinions. But you're not even allowed to ask questions. Hmm. So, which is a red flag. That's the flag because if you're not allowed to ask questions, it tells me that they've got no answers. So, if you ask questions, they've got no answers. They don't want to hear questions. No, well, they don't want to hear questions. So, so anybody that even asks questions is um, is immediately branded, you know, in this kind of careless labelling. Um, that I've been been talking about, and we've seen this for some time. For example, um, anybody who says uh, who questions anything about immigration um, is xenophobic. Anybody who says anything or questions anything um, about the the COVID measures and the vaccine is anti-vax. Anybody who says um, who who questions um, some aspects of what's being promoted with this whole transgender thing is anti-trans and anti-trans rights. Um, you know, it, it just goes and could on push and them on. to suicide. That is often said. So that's a very oh, high yes. bar to throw back at someone. Not to mention anything to do with co-governance. Any criticism, any questions is racism. Oh well, yes, so, well, absolutely. Or if you if you question anything about race-based um, policy targeting, you're anti-Maori or, or racist. So all this labelling has, has um, been going on for some time and it's all about imposing uh, a set of opinions as the right way to think or the right, the right opinions to have. And ultimately where I think this particular um, uh, intention or where, where this is all going in terms of the disinformation project, is um, more censorship. That's that's what it's about. They clearly want more censorship of the social media platforms and and of any other kind of alternative opinion. Well, the only one that they seem to fixate on, really, from what I've seen in that report, is Telegram. Probably not many New, Ze New Zealanders hang out at Telegram. It'll be mostly Facebook and uh, Twitter, and they've criticised um, Elon Musk, or they've sort of talked him down as kind of ruining Twitter, when really we know from everything we've heard that uh, freedom of speech has really been restored to Twitter, and so it goes on. 
I'm speaking with Catherine Ennis Carter, public management consultant on Reality Check Radio, and we are talking about the transgressive transitions, transphobia, community building, bridging, and bonding within Aotearoa New Zealand's disinformation ecologies. March, April, 2023. Report. <sighs> by Dr. Sanjana Hatatua, Kate Hanna, and Kaylee Taylor. Here's where the rubber hits the road, Catherine, for me. Uh, I wonder what you think about this. This was kind of a bit of a laugh and a bit of a joke up till now, but I think this has got really serious now. It was heading very serious. It's dangerous, and it almost could be a national security issue for us because of the disharmony, the, the, the threat to cohesion, all that sort of stuff that this could cause or amplify. So is it time that we heard a statement to the public from the prime minister of this country disconnecting from this, telling us we've got nothing to do with this or coming clean because we need to know we've got an election, we've got a vote in this year, and if it doesn't go the right way, this could get worse. Could we also ask questions about the, the mental state of these people? Like I say, up till recently, it was kind of a laugh, a bit of a joke. But seeing the way that they've been covered in this, the way this report has been written, and the way they've pivoted, like you've talked about, from COVID-19 to uh, LGBTQ+, plus to, to keep you know the whole sort of demonization thing alive, th- this, is, this is going to a dark place, I'm picking. So what well, do you think it needs to happen at a national level now, the responsible... Um, power elites need to come out and say something now, don't they, about this? Well, (laughs) uh, the answer to your question is yes, obviously. But when you look at the fact that um, Kate Hanna, for example, has has, uh, she's appointed to uh, some advisory group that's advising the um, the Department of the Prime Minister and Cabinet. so, you know, why have these people gained such credibility when what they're turning out is, um, as I say, you know, pretty much unbridled rhetoric? Because they agree with them. <laughs> they agree with them. How could it be anything else? I well, mean, that- if it was me, I'd be out there on the, on the news or, or, or I'd commandeer the national television station, which we own and run, and I'd be making a, a statement to the nation. We've got nothing to do with this. This is bad. We're going to, you know... We can't let this go on unless you agree with them, <laughs> you know, or it serves some purpose. It serves some purpose, which, again, comes back to the very beginning. Um, what purpose is it serving? So the purpose it's serving is clearly to discredit anybody who wants to have a dissenting voice or a dissenting opinion. But there are no opposition politicians that I've seen making any statements on this. Have you seen any? No. Well, um, again, that goes back to what I talked about in our first interview, which is that, um, you know, over the course of um, the last um, few decades, we've seen uh, an increasing uh, merger um, of opinion and policy direction um, and economic dogma Um, So, you know, now we have two main parties who essentially have got the same policies. Um, You know, one might be a little bit more more left of centre, one might be plain that they're a little bit more right of centre. But basically, um, and this is why the public is, um, you know, is 
uh, particularly our young people, are so slowly switching off from um, being involved in in government and in uh, politics and being interested um, because they see that there's basically no hope because um, you know whoever you elect is is going to do the same thing. And this is, mm. of course, you know, this gets back to the wider issues of, um, you know, the the kind of um, neoclassical economic dogma that we've had um, over the last um, 40, 40 years, the three or four decades, um, and the policies that have gone along with that, um, and the fact that it's intrinsically connected to globalisation and the the influence of of global um, interests in um, interfering with our national sovereignty. And the people who should be protecting it are quiet. Aren't. They're silent. No, they're not. No. No. No, they're not. They're they're basically um, all um, saying the same thing. Do you think we can assume that our intelligence agencies are aligned with this? Well... It was very worrying that, um, you know, on those documentaries, uh, Fire and Fury and Web of Chaos, that um, Rebecca Kitteridge um, was involved and appeared to be saying, oh, yes, this is, this whole disinformation is such a concern. We are so, co- so concerned about the, um, the increase in, in violent um, extremism. Um, Personally, um, I think, you know, that that undermines uh, public confidence in our security agencies to actually do um, what they're supposed to do. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if they were looking into people right now, probably even me, I would imagine. Maybe you now. (laughs) Maybe they're looking at you before they looked at me. but But you see, the trust goes, doesn't it? The trust goes. And in the absence of of any reasonable, I don't know, um, disconnection from the institutions of state from this that we're talking about here, this report, we've got a vacuum. We don't really know what's going on and we we can only assume and speculate um, built on the history already. I feel like we're getting into a bad place and we might already be there. Do you think so? And and how to stop it? It's up to the public, I guess, because no one else is lifting a finger. But what can be done? I'm not asking to solve the problems of the world here, but <laughs> what do we do? Well, I think um, all we can do, for example, I mean, I think Reality Check Radio um, is is um, one voice which is, is trying to um, extend the debate, which is not being allowed to happen. Um, uh, in the in the mainstream media, and you have to ask why. You know, uh, there's such um, kind of collaborative collusion um, going on between government, the mainstream media, and uh, these kind of voices like the disinformation disinformation um, project and the people who are associated with that. But I think, you know, the the ultimate answer is that what we've seen um, over the last, um, well, particularly the the last few years and and most particularly the last three years since all this um, COVID uh, stuff started uh, started happening is that we seem to have um, lost any kind of accountability 
Um, I, mean, I talked about accountability before in relation to the disinformation project. Who are these people accountable to for what they're for what they're saying? Um, and government themselves, people are just, um, you know, they're behaving as though they're not accountable to the public. And if you consider things like, for example, the the changing narrative on um, on COVID and the COVID um, vaccine, um, and um, you know, we we had the prime minister uh, stood up and, and openly said, "Oh yes, um, yep, yep, we are creating two classes of people, um, and it will be based on uh, willingness to accept this novel technology." Um, uh, she didn't say that, of course, um, but it, it's based on willingness to accept this um, mRNA jab. Um, and uh, the people who accept it will have privileges and the ones who don't won't. So, you know, I mean, that, that was just unprecedented in New Zealand history. It's a shocker, that, man. And, and people just accepted this because it was dished out under the heading of, you know, safety. Oh, safety and security. I, I think there's a bit more looking to it after than, you. There's a bit more to it than that. People who were taking the thing and being on that side of it felt superior. They felt more worthy. Oh, absolutely. They felt like they were, you know, doing sort of God's work when when the heathens were, you know, were still in the sort of the, in the caves, you know, in their sort of outdated oh, yes. thinking. So they they can't get off the hook. They enjoyed it. Absolutely. And, you know, there was so much, um, again, I talk about community hysteria and moral panic. I mean, there was there was so much um, division uh, generated in society through that whole um, period, particularly um, from late uh, 2021 when the um, uh when the mandates came in and um, when the vaccines were being rolled out through um, through 2021. I mean, um, there was such condemnation in the public at large of people who were um, unvaccinated, you know, and, uh, and uh, you know, Prime Minister and other Cabinet Ministers talked about a, a crisis of the unvaccinated. <laughs> they didn't well, age well, did it? Well, now we've got a crisis of the vaccinated because um, uh, by far the majority of the COVID cases and particularly the, the deaths from um, either with or of COVID, um, the vast majority are people who are fully vaccinated and particularly boosted. And, you know, we had a Prime Minister who said uh, when um, during the, the vaccine rollout campaign um, who assured the public, you know, that they were being, they would be protected. And when it first came out that people who were fully vaccinated were still getting COVID, remember that? Even worse, by the and way, she, even worse. She said at the beginning, oh, these are just rare breakthroughs. Well, we've got something like um, 2.3 million of those rare breakthroughs now. What a, but, sorry, bare-faced lies, liars, well, liars. But, even, even if she was led to believe at that stage. You that would never say something like that in the prime minister um, role because you know that it might be wrong and you know what can happen when you say something like that and it's wrong. I, I can't believe that. But where, where was the accountability? Why? Um, they never backed down from that. 
you know, that statement was never um, referred to again. Well, Grant Robertson's never wound back as it's a it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. He was the guy who said that. Deputy Prime Minister, he's never wound that back. He's never apologised for that. He's never said anything. No. Well, this is where, um, you know, there, there seemed to be an incredible arrogance developing um, that our politicians and our, our officials um, didn't have to be accountable. And the public was swept along with the changing narrative um, using all sorts of, you know, rhetoric, but basically on the basis of shutting down any alternative um, opinion or, or discussion. Last question. We need to know who's funding this outfit or if it's not being funded. Is it voluntary work? We need to know, right? We need to know who, where the money's coming from. Do you suspect that that university, even though they've disconnected, is still sending them a few dollars? We've got to ask where it's coming from. No one's telling us. We're allowed well, to ask questions. Well, you know, one one answer to um, any question, you know, when, when you start looking at stuff that just doesn't make any logical sense, you know, what you have to do is, is follow the money and in whose interest um, all this is. So all the stuff that's being tuned out by the disinformation project, all this rhetoric, um, all this generating, trying to generate, you know, some sort of moral panic um, and community hysteria, in whose interests is it to do that? And I think, you know, the public needs to know the answer to that question. I wonder if this is the last we'll hear from them or will there be more? <laughs> oh, I'm sure there will be more. One thing that does bother me is um, we got onto it in part, but I think um, at some point it's worth discussing more about um, why why the public um, went along with with all this and why they're continuing to to go along with it now. Um, because you know that really is a concern. If I think back to the kind of stuff that was um, being said, in the public arena, you know, on mainstream media. Um, and particularly, I remember, you know, The Listener, uh, which, you know, purports to be a kind of a current affairs program. But um, uh, during, during that stage when the vaccine was being rolled out, the, the listener after, you know, you remember how uh, they actually stopped publication at one stage during during the lockdown. That's and right, then, yeah. And then it reappeared again. Well, since it, it reappeared, it seems to have become the government's bugle for um, reaching the, the middle class. Cash injection. With um, the propaganda. Because, you know, they I mean, they hired a, uh, a columnist to uh, a so-called expert in misinformation to to write a um, a month uh, a, a weekly column you know on this whole misinformation stuff he seems to have disappeared now um, but you had you know Jane Clifton talked about how um, uh, wife of the speaker yes not not getting vaccinated was an act of civic hostility. You know, these kinds of um, phrases were used and, and people started, you know, mouthing them about how people who were, were unvaccinated were such a danger. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the usual thing with the, with the vaccination is that if you're, if you're vaccinated, you're protected. Yeah, so what are you worried about? 
So what's the danger from an unvaccinated person? None of this makes sense. (laughs) No, well, none of it did. But you see, you know, it it generated a a huge amount of um, community hostility towards unvaccinated people. And I think, you know, we were, um, by the time they reached the 90% target, when suddenly, you know, all the heat came off, because Jacinda had obviously... I, I call it a quota, Catherine, quota. Yes, well, she'd, she'd obviously got to her, her uh, you know, what she was supposed Deal to... Deal done. ...for her international masters. Um, but, you know, we, I think we were about two months away from when, uh, and some people were even starting to talk about this, when, you know, the two-thirds of the public would have been quite happy for the unvaccinated to be put into some kind of um, detainment camps. And where is that going? You know, then if if people are, you know, within the space of um, two years can have so migrated in their perception of what was right and normal um, that, you know, that that would have been... And you even had uh, Hilary Barry said on Seven Sharp, you know, that everybody who wouldn't get vaccinated should be... Um, shipped off to the Auckland Islands until the whole COVID thing was over. You know, and um, somebody uh, launched a, a complaint to the Broadcasting Authority about that, and um, it was upheld. And she was quite triumphant about the fact that um, she hadn't been censured for making that kind of comment. It's incredible. <laughs> it's just mind blowing. Former head girl <laughs> of a prominent Wellington school, by the way. So yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the criteria is for winning that. One thing that I did mean to talk about, um, this whole anti-trans stuff, you know, the, the effect of this labelling. Um, but I think, you know, if if you took apart, for example, um, legitimate concerns about um, the sort of things that, well, you know, to, to take for an example, the sort of things that Kelly J. Keen Mitchell was was kind of identifying, it seemed to me that there were four things. One was um, taking, you know, women's biology out of the language, you know, so that we've got this ridiculous stuff about birthing individuals and, you know, people with... um, (laughs) People who breastfeed. But yeah, chest feeders. Chest feed, sorry, yeah. People with um, cervixes and all this nonsense. That's one thing. You know, the the second thing was um, a concern which um, some of the, you know, the international um, uh, sports authorities are concerned about, which is the whole thing about biological men being able to compete in, in women's sport. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not just, <laughs> you know, making it an issue of anti-trans. People are who have got a legitimate concern about these things. And then you get on to the whole, um, you know, the promotion of the medicalisation of gender. Um, and In our know, schools. In our schools. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's the incredible thing. So, you know, are you, are you going to try and say that um, those concerns are not legitimate? You know, that they, they can't be expressed, they have to be shut down? In order to protect, um, you know, the people. The globalists. <laughs> well, <laughs> in order to protect, you know, these um, uh, people who are transitioning or have transitioned, um, you know, trans people, um, uh, from from discrimination. 
Uh, and there's, there's another point to that too, could be wrong, but it seems to me that, first of all, if you put a red rag to a bull, you're going to get a reaction. So if you're going to do this sort of stuff, I'm thinking about, you know, what happened, Posey Parker, putting the stuff into schools and all that. People are very uncomfortable with it. It's a red rag to a bull for a lot of people. So you're going to get a reaction. Some of it won't be nice. It's going to happen. And, and that's always been the case. But if you don't have that victimhood, you're not relevant anymore. So there's this kind of symbiotic relationship where you kind of court um, derision and insults and uh, opposition, whatever you want to call it, yes, because you need it to be someone. Yes. Well, um, I mean, that, that's absolutely right. But this is where, you know, this, this whole debate, um, like the COVID um, issue, gets polarised. Um, because you're not willing to um, allow any debate or to um, or to recognize that um, people have concerns and they're valid concerns. And that relates to you know a whole range of issues, whether you're talking about uh, co-governance or race-based policy targeting or um, any of the you know things that we're we're uh, trying to talk about. You just can't, shut down um, all public discussion and um, the public must be, you know, must have the right um, to be informed of a range of, a range of views and opinions uh, and, and, you know, to, um, to realise that these things are not black and white. Or you've got a pressure cooker. Where this disinformation project is, is heading I think it's I think it's very dangerous. I think it's you know it's it's creating a whole lot of um, division and negativity just themselves what they're doing. This is where you know we talked about the projection thing, but arguably, you know if the if the media had not made such a fuss about um, uh, about Posey Parker coming to New Zealand, um, so that that immediately antagonised all these uh, the people who you know wanted to stop her coming, and then there was this whole crusade to get her visa stopped. Um, and then you know, but arguably, if all those people had actually stayed away from Albert Park and had you know just let this woman speak, um, I think there were you know it's only a very small group of people who uh, would have come come along to hear her. All that stuff about the, you know, the violent, angry mob, um, uh, basically attacking her, that would have just all not happened. You know, if if they had not stirred up um, that side of the argument and made such a fuss and called her an anti-trans activist, um, you know, arguably she could have come and gone, and nothing would have much would have happened. Very last thing, if you were to, if you were marking this, because you mentioned that earlier on, that if you know you'd delivered a work product like this back in your degree days, it probably wouldn't have gone too far. You wouldn't have got a pass. Give this a mark. Um, well, <laughs> I might be generous and give it two out of ten. One, one mark for the fact that they've obviously spent hours and hours dredging through all the social media material. Well, how do we know um, that they did it? Well. <laughs> they don't. They don't tell us, really. They we we left to assume that they did. Maybe well, someone else did. They outsource it. Someone else did it. I don't know. 
Well, the extent to which they appear to be becoming unhinged would tell me that they're, okay, they're looking a lot at a lot of it themselves. Um, and I and yeah, I think it is extremely sad and very concerning. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you very much, Paul. Good to talk to you again, and thanks for inviting me on. Catherine Ennis Carter there, Independent Senior International Development Consultant, specialising in governance, public administration, public sector reform, policy development, including poverty reduction, strategic management, institutional development, capacity building, and PFM reform, including strategic budgeting and program-slash-performance budgeting. Yeah, a couple of qualifications in there. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.